Welcome back to Our Soul, a podcast by Faith Choice Ohio, Ohio's faith voice for choice. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to one of the last episodes of 2022 of Our Soul. Um, I, you know, 2022 has been a year. I was a I was just talking to um, some of my coworkers at um, If One How as well, um, and we were just talking about how this year feels like uh, one that we had to survive. Um, and I, I know today I'm just feeling really grateful for how not only I mean in my work at If One How, um, but also in the work that I love to do at Faith Choice Ohio, how we are. Uh, still continuing to thrive and to, you know, make space even in the midst of this year. (laughs) Um, So since this is, this is actually our second to last episode, we aren't going to leave our spot empty. Don't worry. Um, We have something special planned for um, the episodes that will play while we're on our holiday break. Um, but for this episode, uh, I think that this is a great moment for us to just kind of reflect on how we got through 2022 and all of the crazy things that have happened this year. Um, all of the good, crazy things. We're reflecting on the good things. I think we've talked enough about the bad that we don't need to, we don't need to touch into that too much, but, um, you know, we've made a lot of changes this year and we have grown as a team. We've grown in the things that we're doing at Faith Choice Ohio, and I just want to talk about it. So, I mean, first things first, Terry, we have a new name. This time last year, we were not Faith Choice Ohio. Isn't that crazy? Oh, holy good God and good night. <laughs> I, like, the, the planning for the name change was so intense. I feel like it was years ago because... For people who don't know the absolute terror of having to change the name of a 501c3 organization, you just have to prove to everybody and their sister's government friend that everything is copacetic. You're not, you know, just trying to pull some kind of, you know, come uh, lately scam or whatever and trying to communicate to all the 759 different places that we have to that our name is changing and why our name is changing, um, it was it was a harrowing experience. For those who aren't aware, our name Faith Choice Ohio did come about because we wanted to be much more clearly communicating who we are and what we do. And we are faith communities that believe in the power of choice for abortion access and every other choice that is made in a reproductive justice and reproductive health and reproductive rights framework. Um, And we're in Ohio, so Faith Choice Ohio just works. It's who we are. Um, There are so many people who've said, well, I didn't know that you had a name before then. Thank goodness, right? It's been a whole year now. We are Faith Choice Ohio. I'm not even going to use our former name. We we kind of joked a little bit, Kelly and I, um, because we are, uh, as queer people, we have a lot of trans friends and colleagues who go through transition process and they have what they refer to as their dead name, right? The name that they leave behind, right? And there's this celebration of like, this is my name and we don't use the dead name. So we joked that like, we have a dead name at 
uh, Faith Choice Ohio. Not the exact same, obviously, like not to make light of that process at all, but it really did feel like a transition of clarity and purpose to be able to name ourselves in a way that reflects our, our real hope for the future here in Ohio, because we are an Ohio-based organization that not only has hope for Ohio, but we are working to sow hope and to tend hope and to cultivate hope here in Ohio around reproductive health rights and justice, abortion mm -hmm. justice, and reproductive freedom. Mm -hmm. And and I just want to say, um, like, one of the beautiful parts about being part of this process, at least for me, was, like, this really intentional work that we did around what our name is, what our colors are, what our logo looks like, all of that stuff. And um, I will be linking this in the show notes, um, our blog from the beginning of the year, talking about our name change, why we did it, um, and all of the meaning behind it. But um, one thing that I really love is like, if you take a close look at our logo, um, it's called the Fountain Willow is the name of the, the little graphic there. And if you look in the middle, it kind of looks like that stained glass kind of window-esque thing. Um, and I think it really, you know, not only, you know, willows talking about trees and growing, um, I think really represents like our roots and where we're coming from, but also having that, uh, that spiritual essence to it in our logo, um, yeah, and, and the color, uh, you know, talking about change and talking about transition, like the name of the color is literally called uh, Tide Change Teal. Um, and I, I love it regardless, but I think the name is just like uh, really a, a good name for the period that we were in at the beginning of the year and that we're still in now, you know, adjusting to this new landscape that we knew was coming, um, but, you know, nonetheless, coming into it is still hard, you know, coming into the first year, the first, um, well, not the first year yet, but the first time that Roe has actually fallen. So, um, yeah, it was just a beautiful process and um, so meaningful in in uh what is behind you know that logo that you see on our podcast stuff or on our website or wherever you see it it wasn't just like let's pick any logo it was you know weeks <laughs> looking at different logos and different colors and um trying to find something that felt like us and this is where we landed and it, it really felt like like liturgy you know, for, yeah. for those of you who know us um, as religious people, we we care deeply about symbolism. And, you know, it's an old saying in terms of liturgical worship that um, we shape our worship and then our worship shapes us. And in many ways, the, the common symbols and the stories and the narratives that we hold together, they are the narratives and the stories and symbols that we shape but then they shape us back. And that was really the goal for us is to communicate that we're about tide change. We are about culture change, the long-term shifts. We're not here for, you know, the four to six week impact campaign. We're not here for um, whatever the, the concern du jour is. We're here for a long-term strategically planned culture transformation, because we believe that cultural transformation for abortion justice and reproductive freedom is how we, in that small part of the whole puzzle, get free. 
Um, and I think that just naturally feeds into the other big change that happened this year. We launched the Jubilee Fund for Abortion Justice. Again, you know, something long time in the planning, over two years of, of real development and intentional work going into the establishment of the first faith-based abortion fund in the state of Ohio um, to provide practical support, transportation, childcare, lodging, other, you know, practical support uh, concerns for individuals who are seeking abortion care. And that got launched. It, it seems like forever ago, but it was just in June, in June to go live with volunteers and funding and the whole caboodle around spiritual care and this kind of kind of wellness expression for people who are seeking abortion care in Ohio. Yeah, and you know, with the launch of our Jubilee Fund, um, for those of you who don't know, and I know that like, you know, us at Faith Towards Ohio, we do a lot of work, but we are a very small team. And, you know, up until earlier this year, we were a team of three. Um, and then with the coming of the Jubilee Fund, you know, it was necessary and very important that we bring on the brilliant uh, Rihanna. Andrews. We bring on the brilliant Rihanna Andrews, um, who is our volunteer coordinator. Um, and... She is lovely and has been working with people to help them get access to abortion, even when Ohio has not been helping with that. Um, and we are just so grateful to have her on staff and um, just to have her in our lives. I, I just, I love Rihanna. And we know that Rihanna is part of the family now because we only refer to Rihanna by her first name. <laughs> um, I somebody somebody asked me literally at a at a, um, a in person gathering here like a month ago. Um, I was at the Methodist Theological School at a, a gathering for the Unitarian Universalist Justice Ohio group, and they asked me, "Oh, your your executive director Elena, what's her last name?" And I, I had a complete blank moment because I'm like, I don't ever call Elena by her last name. That's just not who we are here because we are such a small, very you know, intimate group of, of justice seekers. And it is always a fun and somewhat exciting, maybe even um, anxious thing to introduce new people to systems. But Rihanna was absolutely the perfect addition and has brought so much to this team. Rihanna is the person when anybody comes into the work for the Jubilee Fund, particularly for volunteer work, Rihanna is the person who vets that individual, who helps walk that person through the application process, the background check process, the training process, delivers training and connects them then with all of the other aspects of the fund. So, she brings just a tremendous skill and a tremendous amount of joy into this process that I can't really imagine how we did this work before Rietta was here because she does bring so much. Yeah. And I know, you know, as, as she continues to be here, I am just excited about the continued ways that she's going to help us, you know, continue to do this work as we go into 
whatever comes next in uh, 2023. And I'm just like really grateful that we could not only grow our team, but grow our team with somebody who is very intentional and caring and just a, a really great fit for, for us. Um, yeah. And uh, along with that, I'd be mean, kind of on a different note, but this year has also brought in a lot of, you know, educational stuff that we've been doing that we weren't really doing before. I mean, some of that is carryover from things we've done in the past. We did the Reproductive Justice uh, Book Club, uh, which was the first book club that Terry and I co-hosted. Um, and it was a little difficult and hard at times, but, um, you know, we made it through. We had planned uh, the book club to run um, before and after June, knowing that the Supreme Court tends to leave um, the most contentious decisions for last. Um, and I was, I'm, I will just say, Terry, I'm very grateful for the fact that you were there to support me through this. Um, the book club started originally as a, a project that I was doing with school and <laughs> a way for me to do my final project and actually force myself to study. <laughs> uh, but it continued into something that, you know, people were coming to and learning from and having conversations about how we get free in a way that is not harmful to other people. And um, when I was thinking about, you know, this time last year when we were doing planning for 2023, um, I was very worried about my own sanity, about my own uh, capacity and being able to do book clubs. And I wanted to have that space for people. But I also knew that like I, um, especially as a femme of color, uh, didn't feel like I could carry that weight on my own. And I shouldn't have to. Like uh, no, no group should have to carry the weight of um, it, uh, educating people. On their own, especially one that is directly affected by, um, you know, what they're being educated on. So, Terry, I'm very grateful that you, you know, stepped up. You are an avid reader. <laughs> Anybody who's been to Terry's house, it's literally covered in books. There's <laughs> books everywhere. So, Terry honestly reads the books more thoroughly than I have most of the time and um, stepped up and led some of those um, to give me a little bit of a break um, in that harder period that was earlier this year so I just really appreciate you and I'm just glad that we could we could still do that and we could still have that space and people can still see those videos on <laughs> Facebook if they are wanting to get into that absolutely and and Kelly I I so deeply appreciate the lens that you bring to all of this work because for me as a white male in this work there's there's often a great deal of baggage that comes with me entering any space because the like initial assumption in any space um, aligns me with people who frankly have done the most harm in in the most spaces and I often struggle with that to find like where where is my place to be able to help support this work knowing that I'm not at the center or even near the center of the concern for this work. Like this work needs to be centered on people most directly affected and that ain't white guys, right? And to be invited into a space where I was able to model learning from and within 
an RJ frame and an RJ informed context while acknowledging that I'm not doing RJ because I don't get to do that uh, that work. I don't get to come from that perspective because that's not where I am epistemologically. That's not that's not where my privilege positions me. It was very powerful for me um, to be able to to listen and be open to all of these voices and really to hear the excellent responsiveness that comes from being willing to listen and articulate that I know this is weird, right? Like I know it's weird for me to be in this space talking about these issues because I'm not the one who is typically centered in this this conversation. It was really a, a wonderful space for us to model how we approach that RJ-informed, RJ-saturated um, lens, right? Because I truly do believe, uh, you know, as uh, we heard how we get free from uh, Yamada Taylor, um, that concept of we will get free together but only when we are willing to put care and stock into each other, right? Mm -hmm. And in figuring out how to model that, that was the whole of the, the RJ Book Club that you, again, you brought to us in such a remarkable way. Don't make me cry, gosh. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I appreciate that. And I think, you know... Um, regardless of the fact that I did, in fact, need the space for my own capacity, mm -hmm. I think it was important to model that because if it's not modeled, like, how can we expect people to to do that? You know, like, if we never show that, you know, it is, it is okay for, you know, a white man to uh, be in this space when given that permission by the people who are more directly affected... Um, then, you know, we have this whole trouble where people don't know where it is appropriate for them to step in and where it's not appropriate. And so I think, like, I appreciate not only that I got that space, but also that we got to model what it looks like to care for each other. Because let's be honest, people, uh, we live in Ohio, and Ohio has a lot of white people in it. But that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be learning things about reproductive justice, that uh, people shouldn't be learning about um, these practices and ways that people of color have been, be, have been caring for each other. But what it does mean is that uh, there needs to be some care and some intentionality around how that is taught and who is actually carrying the brunt of that education. Um, and where is it appropriate for people to step in? So I am also glad that we could model that because I think what's really important there for people who are like, you know, I've heard this stuff, I've read this stuff, um, and I care a lot about it. Um, what's important is that they're not, like, you know, you shouldn't take it upon yourself, uh, like actually look around and see like who is doing this work and try to support the people of color who are already trying to do the work to um, care for themselves and to get free and see how you can plug into that rather than starting your own thing and assuming that that doesn't exist somewhere. Because most likely there is that there. Um, and 
you may not know about it, but maybe somebody in your circle of friends knows about it. We have the internet. The internet is a powerful tool. Um, and so using that to try to plug into places rather than creating your own. I think we could do so much more if people would plug in and, and tap into a community of support rather than trying to start something new because that can be not only a labor on itself, um, but also just like duplicating work and covering up the work of people who have been doing this for much longer than we have. So, yeah. And the last thing, the last thing that I wanted to mention, especially around the uh, education portion, is this year was the first year that we've done many of our trainings. Um, so, you know, we've kind of, we talked about it a lot in the last, like, few months, but uh, the restorative and transformative justice training was not a thing last year. Uh, we have the religion and repro training, which was not a thing last year. We have our moral messaging training, which was not a thing last year. Um, and we also have doubled the amount of um, SMA trainings that we do because we do them twice a month, um, as well as whenever um, people make requests for any of these trainings, we do those trainings as well. And I just think that's a remarkable thing that, you know, again, considering we have a tiny team of four people and we're doing all of this. And it, and it was earlier today, um, I got to speak with um, Elena briefly just about, you know, kind of structure and process we're looking forward to next year. And um, she remarked, yeah, we, we kind of sat down in our strategic planning session last winter and said, yeah, we're already doing all this teaching anyway, like on the fly, um, you know, off the cuff, because people are coming to us saying like, how in the world did we get here in terms of religion and repro? Like, what's the history with fundamentalist Christianity and repro? And we're giving all this information. We're like, we should just give it as an actual training because we already do this education anyway. And we sat around saying, well, yeah, we could probably formalize this and get it ready to go by January. And lo and behold, it came to pass. All these trainings came to fruition because we've already been doing it. We just now formalized it. And people just loved the information. Because once once you're able to sit down and understand the background and the history, why the connection is ever-present between segregationist racism and the anti-abortion movement. Why Paul Weyrich and Jerry Falwell making this unholy alliance with Ronald Reagan in the 80s does affect you today, 40 years later. Like, once you understand how moral messaging works and why leading with a values frame is so important, everything starts to shift, right? RTJ, the ability to say, we are not willing to break people into an us and a them. We are not willing to other people in order to pretend that we are more safe, that we that we have, you know, um, some assurance here, that we really are going to live in a community where everybody's valued and everybody's cared for, and that means everybody, capital E, with a period at the end. Um, that really is transformative justice, right? It is transforming the world. So, I, this whole year of being able to do this this education process with folk and really get basic education to people about why repro is so much more than what you have been told, right? Repro is more than um, the awkward dinner table conversation, right? 
it's a way of life. It's an ability to live and to thrive in community. That's the heart of our training process. And that's what we've been able to do in the last year here at Faith Choice Ohio. Mm -hmm. And, and I think like another part of that education piece that I've really enjoyed is just like teaching people how to have these conversations, teaching people like how to, uh, make these connections and uh, being there for any questions they have like the the part of I for me as a trainer like my favorite part is not spewing all this information at people but rather when uh, people ask poignant questions that get me tripped up like the the fact that I can like have that um, process with them and to have a conversation about like you know, uh, when you say transformative justice, maybe you're thinking of abolishing the police, but like also that starts with, you know, having boundaries all around the way that you communicate with people who have hurt you or, and also like having the, um, ability to set those boundaries without making that person inhuman in your mind. Um, and, and having conversations about what that looks like in your everyday life rather than making it some big far off thing that is unreachable. Um, and I feel the same way about like the SMA trainings, like when people think like, oh, um, how do I have conversations with other people about what is self-managed abortion? Um, we, you know, have a time where people can practice with each other and uh, be able to mess up and see how it can be a little bit uh, hard to hard to do. But like they they get to learn that like, okay, it doesn't have to be as big and intimidating as I've made it out to be in my mind. It can just be a conversation with people who I'm, uh, who I care about or who I'm trying to give care to. Um, and it just has to look like that with a couple of, you know, adjustments for the legal landscape that we're currently in. Um, yeah. And, and I think for me, the most powerful part of, of the education process is being able to bring all of what I call the filler, the the things the things that aren't on the schedule but always have to get done anyway, all of those elements of our life that we can't easily put into a training module, we get to bring those to bear in the trainings and the education that we work through. You know, I, I think about all the things that we haven't listed, right, um, among these things in the last year, like, our ability to advocate on moral values and issues of substance, not only at the state legislature, but in local municipalities, our ability to equip people to advocate for themselves, getting to participate with the ACLU in challenges to really crappy laws and horrible abortion bans. Again, articulating this moral frame within faith communities to preach and teach and speak and sing and pray around and about abortion access and about black lives being able to thrive in our communities and about basic justice tenants being at the center of our work. All of this holistic process together gets to be in every morsel, in every mouthful of what we're able to do in this organization. And that just gives me joy because we had a horrible, catastrophic Supreme Court decision happen this year, and our communities are still moving forward. 
We are still moving forward in compassion and joy to support abortion seekers. We are still moving forward to make sure that people who need care get the care that they need and deserve, and that they get that without judgment or without stigma and without any kind of lingering spiritual effects if we can help it. That, to me, is just paradise, and I get to come to work every single day with it. It's, I, I, you know, you just, you feel kind of, you know, like the, the hippie thankfulness <laughs> in this moment, right? Um, what a year in review, though. And we are so glad that we are uh, able to be with you here for this uh, penultimate uh, episode for the year. Listen to our very last episode, which will be a resource-oriented episode coming up in just a couple of weeks. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you back here very shortly. Thank you for listening to this episode of Our Soul. If you'd like to hear more of our conversations on religion, abortion access, and all things repro, you can find all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. For more content, training, and other information, check us out at faithchoiceohio.org.